I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Colin Campbell, author of Finding the Words, Working Through Profound Loss with Hope and Purpose. When Colin Campbell's two teenage children were killed by a drunk driver, he was thrown headlong into a grief so deep he felt he might lose his mind. He found much of the common wisdom about coping with loss, including the ideas that grieving is a private and mysterious process and that the pain is so great that there are no words uh, to be unhelpful. Drawing on what he learned from his own journey, he offers an alternative path for processing pain that is active and vocal and truly honors loved ones lost. Full of practical advice on how to survive in the aftermath of loss, he shows readers how to actively reach out to their community, perform mourning rituals, and find ways to express their grief so that they can live more fully while also holding their loved ones close. Uh, Colin is a writer and director for theater and film. The short film he wrote and directed with his beautiful and talented wife, Seraligo, was nominated for an Academy Award. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Colin. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Well, obviously, I mean, losing both your children is the most profound loss. Uh, I think in reading your book, one of the things that stood out, and I want to just sort of start with this, is that, that grief for that kind of a loss is not static. It's a fluid process. And that seems, that thought seems, or that feeling seems to permeate your book. Yeah. You know, I had this idea, I think, before I I had profound loss, that that grief is something you sort of, you just sort of do on your own. You you go off somewhere and you're kind of just sad. (laughs) And then you come back when you're ready and you're fixed. And and I, I really learned that that's, that's not actually what grief is. Grief is, is as you said, a process that you're moving through, um, and you're, you're doing things that allow you to stay engaged with it um, and with your, your feelings of loss and feelings of love. So what are those yeah, things process. that help you stay engaged? I mean, you're in a car accident. Maybe you want to describe the car accident for us. And, um, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I don't refer to it as an accident. Actually, I refer to it as a car crash because, to my mind, it wasn't accidental that the woman drank and got high and then got behind the wheel of a car and then sped. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we were driving, uh, I and my wife and my two children, Ruby and Hart, uh, teenage children were in the back seat, and we were going off uh, on a road trip to uh, a beautiful desert uh, getaway in, in Joshua Tree, and um, and we were hit by this driver going 90 miles an hour, and uh, and Ruben Hart were killed in the back seat, and Gail and I had wounds, uh, but not 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 egregious ones, um, and that was also very surreal. To uh, to you know, a- after a few weeks, we were essentially completely healed, and it seemed so confusing. We were in the same car crash, but. Now our children were gone and and were physically fine, and that that was also difficult to process. Well, one of the yeah. things that you mentioned also, or in the book, that had a an effect on you was the doctor in the uh, in the uh, pick you uh, where your son yeah. was. Uh, the first thing that he said to you when he spoke to you and and your wife. Yeah, uh, uh, she uh, it was a she. The doctor was a she, and. Um, it was quite extraordinary because 
I, I had the feeling that whole night that people were avoiding us, um, that they didn't want to tell us the truth, um, that that our, our children were, that Ruby was already dead and that Hart was dying. Uh, everybody was seemed pretty scared, and we were scared. And then this doctor at the the PICU, she she pulled us aside, Doctor Educate, and pulled us into a into a private room, and told us the truth straight to our face that you know Hart had three life ending injuries and and uh, they were just keeping him you know essentially alive so we could say goodbye to him. Um, and then she said, "Tell me about Ruby and Hart." And it was such an amazing gift. Uh, because she didn't run away from our pain. She, in a way, leaned into it. <laughs> she invited us uh, to to share with her in this moment of agony. And not only that, but it gave us something to do. Uh, I, I think a lot of times grief can feel so overwhelming and, and amorphous, just this shapeless blob of, of of terrifying pain. And any kind of action, I think, that we can find, that we can take, as we move through, it helps. And, and right there and then she gave us an action, which was to talk about our, our beautiful children to her. And, and we did. And uh, it was a way for us to begin that journey of verbalizing our feelings, talking about our loss and our loved ones. Uh, yeah. and it, was a, it was a powerful lesson for me very early on in the grief well, process. Well, you're saying uh, leaning into the pain, the beginning of leaning into the pain. I think that one this, mm. you talk about this in the book all the time is people are are so afraid of leaning into the pain and they don't want to talk about the kind of loss that you've had. I mean, losing both your children and people are often afraid of you as as mm. you've talked about. They're afraid to talk or mention your children's names or I mean, I think this is very yeah. often the more often the case than than not. Um, they're yeah. scared of their own feelings and they're going to, I think, you know, trigger something in you. And as you say, you can't trigger anything more than what's happened to me. I mean, there's nothing you're going to do to upset me. Um, so yeah. that's, yeah, yeah. I, think that, I, I, I think people are, are worried about causing more pain, but the reality is if, if you love someone that's very dear to you, you're going to feel pain. There's no escaping it. There's no fixing it. There's no really comfort to be had. You, you, you can't avoid feeling that pain. You can try and block it if you want to numb yourself. Um, but then you're numbing yourself to everything else in life. Uh, I feel like if you're going to, if you want to feel joy again, you've got to, you've got to also feel the pain of your loss because that's, that's reality. That's, that's, you know, not living in denial. And so I, I think that people who are trying to, when they, when they want to talk to me, if they're thinking, Oh, what, what can I say that's not going to, you know, cause him pain? In a way, that's sort of the wrong question because uh, I'm going to feel pain, and I and I need to feel pain. Part that's what it is to lose somebody, um, and it's more about can we share? Can we talk about the pain? That's what's helpful. Can we talk about Ruby and Hart? That helps me. Well, community, community—that's the word also that comes out uh, that seems to resonate through the book. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. one of the things, you know, with the pain or grief, people tend to want to sometimes, not everyone, isolate themselves and other people help to isolate mm-hmm. you. But you have to connect with the community. Uh, so talk it, to, yeah, that seems to be yeah. key. It's just so helpful. Uh, it's a lesson, that, another lesson I learned very early on, uh, and it's thanks to the Jewish traditions of, of grieving, 
So I, I'm not Jewish, but my wife is, and we raised Ruby and Hart as, as Jews, and they were born by mitzvah, and we were part of our, our synagogue community. And, and when it came time to grieve them, I didn't have any tools, any cultural tools to do it. So I leaned on the Jewish traditions, and, and I learned a lot of incredibly valuable lessons about, uh, about how to grieve, literally. And one of the first ones was, as you said, do it in community. Uh, so, so in the Jewish traditions, you sit shiva for the first seven nights after the funeral, uh, and which means which means your community comes to your house at night and and literally sits with you uh, in your in your grief. And and as you said, there is that impulse to to withdraw, to leave me alone. <laughs> I yeah. want to be alone in my pain. I I can't be with other people. But in fact. It's so wise to be with other people because that's what I discovered is that I I did need to share. It was so helpful to me in my journey. Um, And so I think we all have that impulse to run away, to run away from the pain, run away from community. Uh, But I think actually moving through grief with your community is, is so incredibly helpful. I think, unfortunately, I think our culture uh, supports the, not being involved in community, suffer the pain, repress mm-hmm. it, depress it, you know, don't get other people upset by your pain and, and your grief. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah. I think that's why the book, well, one of the reasons, I mean, that's very helpful in people who are going through the grief uh, process, which is, I think you also say this, it's it's unique, but it's not unique. It's both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we our, our loss is unique. The person we lost and our relationship to that person is, is unique. But I believe that the the actual process of grieving is is shared by everybody. Um, and and when people told me early on, you know, everyone grieves in their own way, I, I understood the the impulse, which is you know to validate whatever you're doing in your grief. It's okay. Don't feel bad about it. You know, for God's sake, don't feel bad about how you're grieving. And I appreciate that. But on the other hand, I wanted some kind of guidance. <laughs> I wanted some yeah. kind of somebody to tell me something about this mysterious process, make it less mysterious. Um, and, uh, and that's sort of what I, I hope I do, I do with the book, because speaking to a lot of other people in profound grief, there were a lot of commonalities. There were a lot of shared needs, shared experiences. Um, it felt a lot less mysterious to me as I moved through it. Um, so you, you reached out, or your, your rabbi, obviously, she sounds, I mean, actually I went on I think I listened to a TED talk that she had done after I was hmm. after reading your book, but um, her being helpful, but and also compassionate yeah. friends was another group. And then talk to us. There was another group that you connected with that was even yeah. more specific. Kids, I mean, parents who had <clears throat> lost children who were over fourteen years of age and very specific kinds of uh, incidents. So um, that that's helpful to other people in terms of. Practical resources, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah actually. Um, yeah, so, so my rabbi, Sharon Browse, she, she's extraordinary, and our, our, our temple is called Ikar, and that was an amazing community that came, rallied around me. So I had that amazing community, <laughs> that amazing mm-hmm. rabbi, and then I had the amazing organization called Compassionate Friends, which is a national organization, um, and that's for people who have lost children, grandchildren, or siblings. Um, but they could have they died 30 years ago or three days ago. So you get a real range uh, of loss in those circles, and that's very valuable. But then there's this other organization called Our House, another grief group that I joined. And that organization has a, a special model, which is 
they gather together, um, I think, 10 to 12 people who have suffered very similar loss in a very similar time frame. So all the people in our group had lost, as you said, someone, a, a child above the age of 14 um, in the last, uh, I think it was six to 12 months. So we were all on a very calm, and we stayed there in that same group for two years. We meet twice a month for two years. So you really bond with another group of people in a very similar situation to yours. Um, and our house is, is not a national organization. It's based in Los Angeles. But the model is, I think, quite extraordinary. Um, but I think the real takeaway is this, that I, I, I was able to access so many groups, and it was so helpful. Um, and I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to join. I remember my wife and I were driving to our first Our House meeting. We're like, a two-year commitment? I can't even make a, a, a two-hour commitment right now. I'm in, I'm in tragic, terrible grief. <laughs> um, there's no way we're going to stay. And we told ourselves, well, we'll just go to the first one, and then, and then we'll, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we, we stayed for two years. Um, you know, it helped. brings up the topic of another topic you address in your book of you know, the repressed grief and why it's really not good for you and some of the advantages of not repressing your grief, getting it out there, connecting with all of what we've been talking about. Uh, what does repressed yeah. grief do to, to you? to one well i i feel like when you're when you try and bottle it up and try and and sort of muscle through it or or um uh or just put it aside and 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 move on as it were that if you're not addressing those central emotional issues and and just processing it for yourself i feel like it can lead to bitterness um and it, it comes out and in self-destructive ways, you know, you're, you're, you're numbing yourself with drugs or alcohol or, um, you know, behavior that, that's uh, out of control or dangerous. Um, and, and, and anger, I think, is a real one. Um, you know, I think when, when we lose someone that's dear to us, there's going to be a lot of anger, it seems to me, at least in my personal experience, yeah. anger at the universe. We've been robbed. Uh, someone was taken from us way too early and it's not fair. And you got to do something with that anger. I feel like you've got to acknowledge it and process it in, in some way, express it in some way. Um, so you're allowed to move through it, and not, not get stuck in it. And also you talk, you say that, and I, I, I don't know if I'd actually thought about this, but when you start, when you talk about, in, in your case, you're talking about your two children, Ruby and Hart, that you talk to people who knew them they can add story. I just found this like that they, they'll add stories mm. than things and uh, maybe that you didn't know about your kids that get, brings you closer to them. Um, and yeah. yeah. And if you wait 10 or, you know, if you wait too long, those people go away and they may not be part of your life and you don't get that, that input um, that. Uh, yeah. I, I thought, yeah. It, it, it's it's really an amazing gift because you know you're you're just I'm just hungering for Ruby and Hart and they're not here and then someone comes up to me and says uh, tells me a story about the experience they had with my kids when I wasn't even there right and yeah it's like oh my God I I get a new experience with Ruby and Hart I get a moment I share a moment with them and I get to share my pain and loss with somebody else who's grieving Ruby and Hart mm-hmm. I, you know I think I think when somebody dies it's not just the immediate loved ones that lose them it, it's a it's like an earthquake and there's rings of devastation. And the more you can talk to other people who also love Ruby and Hart, it, it helps me. It, it, um, 
it makes me gives me some some solace uh, that I'm not I'm not alone in this loss, um, and that and that's really beautiful. And um, yeah. So uh, one of the things too, when people uh, experience a kind of, as we said, the as you say, profound loss, very often couples break up. They they, they just don't they, they can't deal with for whatever reasons, many reasons. But yet you two, uh, you and Gail became closer. I mean, how did yeah. that happen? Well, well, first I, I do want to say actually it's a it's a myth that um, that the divorce rate is higher among people who've lost children. Um, it's interesting. It's a very prevalent myth because the, um, there were no studies for, for many years, but there was this idea floating around out there that that's what happened um, to couples. But then Compassionate Friends did several national studies, and, and it showed that the divorce rate was actually lower uh, amongst bereaved parents than the general population. Um, and in, in a way, it, it makes sense to me because when Gail and I lost Ruby and Hart, we, we clung to each other. We were the only ones in the world that shared that specific loss. And, and after having just lost Ruby and Hart, how could we possibly lose each other? We're all we've got left. Uh, and I think that's, that's fairly common um, in other, with other brief parents. Uh, there's, there's a way in which the loss brings you closer. Yeah. Well, I mean, divorce is, I guess, the end game for that. But then there are couples who do stay together, but they express their, this is my experience as a social worker and as a, as somebody who has a friend who lost both her boys, but um, that they grieve in such different ways. They stay together, but they're not really together. That You have to be aware of that mm. too. That, uh, yeah. you, yes, you might not get divorced, but um, you're separated emotionally. It so might, that's it yeah. might emotionally struggle. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that goes back to talking about sharing about your feelings. I, I think in those situations that, that, that those couples are, are not, they're not talking. One, one is talking and one is not, um, one is trying to compartmentalize that loss, uh, as a way of, of getting through the day and avoiding the pain. But as I said before, we can't, avoid the pain of loss. We, if we love somebody and they, and they die, you've got to feel that pain. That's what that's the, the flip side, the, the other side of love is grief. And, um, in, in a way I have a different relationship now to, to that pain. Um, it, it used to be terrifying to me in the early days of grief. It was so scary. So, so very scary to be alone without Ruby and Hart. Uh, I didn't know who I was, but now I, I have a different relationship to that pain. I, I don't say I don't say I welcome it, but yeah. um, I'm not scared of it. Um, I feel it. I feel it every day. And um, after you know three and a half years of feeling that pain, it's it's more uh, a companion, and it's a it's in a way a reminder of my love for Ruby and Hart. It's um it's a it's a piece of it. So the pain takes it's in a different place. It's there, mm-hmm. but it, yeah, it's in a, a different, I guess, just in a different place. But what about people who are not, you talked about your rabbi and religion and some of these and mourning rituals, which are really, mm-hmm. can be really helpful. What about people who don't believe, because you do talk about this too, who don't believe in God and who can't, yeah. you know, don't want to use the word God in the context of their mourning. What do you substitute for yeah. that? Yeah, I, so so that's me. I, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God, 
Um, so when I leaned on all these Jewish traditions, it wasn't it wasn't about God. It was about um, these have been cultural practices for the past five thousand years. Uh, I bet there's some wisdom there, and sure enough, there is. <laughs> um, uh, you know, they know what they're doing when it comes to grieving, and and I really leaned on that. Um, and I think I think that uh, you know, if you can find any kind of community, it's helpful. So I think communities of faith are are so helpful to people grieving. Um, I think even if you're not not a person of faith, but you're in that community, that can help too. Um, yeah, I think and, you and said so, in the so my, yeah. my my little my little trick was when it, when I go to synagogue and everyone's talking about God, I think love. Uh, I think love when I hear the word God, and and I can get behind that for sure. Um, and I often think about Ruby and Hart's love specifically. So when so there's a prayer and it talks about God, and I think about Ruby and Hart's love, and uh, and that really helps. And when you say in, in the book, and you say instead of focusing or thinking about their death, you think about their life, and you talk about their life. What mm. happens? And I think that um, you know, as all of those, you know, their friends graduate from high school and college, and you know, all of these things that you can't share with with your children. How do you handle that? How do you handle yeah. that pain? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think that's a a great point, which is it's so easy to get um, to get sucked into a loop, uh, a loop of thoughts about the death, about the the night they died, how they died. Um, I think that's fairly common for a lot of people who've lost loved ones. That uh, you can get stuck in there, <laughs> and it's and it's a it's what I call a, a place of suffering rather than pain. So there's the the pain of loss, the pain of grief, which is natural and healthy, and I think you need to feel it. But then there's the attendant suffering that maybe we can do without. So I try, when I start thinking about the car crash and that loop, I start to, I let myself think it for a second, and then I try and just let it go. Because I, I really want to be thinking about Ruby and Hart in life and the love we shared and not the tragic death. Um, and so when I see their friends, I, I try and stay in touch with their friends. So in fact, I, my wife and I went just, uh, just two weeks ago, went to Hart School um, his friends are all now seniors in high school, um, and they're about to graduate, and they had a chapel ceremony for Hart. Uh, and it was so beautiful to see them there up on stage sharing about Hart and their love for Hart. And uh, it was very powerful that these young people were able to share their grief so openly. You know, they were crying, but sharing and talking. Yeah. It, was, it was a very powerful experience. And I think part of me was like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go back to Hart School and see Hart's friends. They're they're you know almost four years older now. It's it's heartbreaking, and yet it's also beautiful. So it was a painful day uh, for Gail and I, but also a deeply beautiful day in a way to honor Hart. Well, your son, you talk about that. We only have a couple minutes left, but when he died, your identity is tied up with being his dad and then that identity changes and um or gets confused or talk to us about that yeah. because yeah yeah it it was you know being ruby and hart's dad was was central to my identity like that's literally the top of the list um when they were alive that's how i felt <laughs> i was like mm-hmm. i was ruby and hart's dad then i'm gail's husband then i'm you know uh 
my 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 mom and dad's son, brother and sister's brother, etc. But really, being Ruben Hart's dad was a central part of my identity. And when they were killed, I didn't know who I was. Um, and gradually, I came to accept the idea that I am the father of two dead children. That's that's part of my identity now. Um, and I think it's a it's hard. It's hard to find who we are and our own meaning and purpose in life once you lose somebody who's really close to you. It can really feel like life is meaningless um, and there's a lot of despair. And I feel like taking actions, staying engaged in life, um, and also staying connected to your past, keeping that continuity, even though there's this terrible schism that happened, um, if I can still still be in touch with my old friends um, and, and Ruby and Hart's friends and their parents' friends, uh, I mean, sorry, <laughs> their friends' parents, yeah. um, my community, if I could still stay in touch with my community, I, I can, I'm a changed person, but it helps me understand who I am, that continuity. But, yeah. but it's a journey, and I, I think it's, it's a, it takes effort, um, and it helps and to be it, engaged. And it's ongoing, and we have one minute left. We can say this really fast because I want you to, I know you're going to, you have, are developing, I want to get this in, a solo performance piece mm-hmm. titled Grief, a one-man shit show. Uh, it's all about grief, but, and I guess it's also funny, it says, comedic, yes, uh, both. it's funny, and, and, and it's going to New York. It's going to be in New York from March 29th to April 16th. I've got to go. That's where I am. I'm going to go see it. But okay, so to oh, give great. us, yeah, a website uh, in 30 seconds and uh, websites to go to for more information. Yes. So you can go to uh, griefaonemanshitshow.com for shows, information about the show and for my book, colincampbellauthor.com. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Uh, Colin Campbell, author of Finding the Words, Working Through Profound Loss with Hope and Purpose. Thank you for sharing all of that with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 